The following article from our Knowing and Doing Quarterly Journal is brought to you by the C.S. Lewis Institute. Our prayer is that this talk will help to deepen your faith and draw you closer to God. An encouragement to read Jonathan Edwards' The Religious Affections, How Sweet It Is, by Dr. Randy Newman, Senior Teaching Fellow for Apologetics and Evangelism at the C.S. Lewis Institute. A plethora of pendulums swing within the Christian world, yanking believers from one unbalanced extreme to the opposite end with virtually no time to settle in the middle where, in many cases, the proper balance is found. One of those pendulum swings has been the ride between doctrine and devotion. At times, we've insisted upon right beliefs with such vehemence that we've sounded no different from the current political firestorm. Some of us were right, but we certainly weren't righteous. At other times, we so emphasized experience, we waffled about where the lines of orthodoxy really lie. Do we really need to choose only one of those, right beliefs or real experience? Doesn't God call us to love him with all our hearts and all our minds? Don't the scriptures call us to taste and see that the Lord is good? I find the Bible to be an amazingly balanced book, exhorting us to think right thoughts and live godly lives. In just one of hundreds of examples I could cite, Colossians 3 tells us both to set our hearts on things above and also to set our minds on things above. Verses 1-2 through In that same chapter, we're commanded to put to death all sorts of evil desires. Verses 5-10 through and let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Verse 15. That sounds rather experiential. But we're also told to let the word of Christ dwell in us, which works itself out with such things as teaching, admonishing, and wisdom. Verse 16. That sounds rather intellectual. And, oh, by the way, isn't it intriguing that of all the ways God could have chosen to reveal truth to us, he included a book? That's far more cognitive and intellectual than some today want to acknowledge. I'll push it further. Given the lofty things God's Word says about God's Word, consider the longest chapter of the longest book of the Bible, Psalm 119, shouldn't we prioritize right thinking as an important part of exalting God and living lives worthy of our calling? I get nervous when I hear someone denigrate the importance of knowledge or doctrine or thinking in favor of emotions or zeal or the heart. Never mind the self-refutation of their need to use words and logic to convince others of the unimportance of words and logic. The biggest problem of that approach is that the Bible simply won't support it. In fact, to say that the Bible is balanced between mind and heart is not quite right. The Bible is holistic. It doesn't see thought and emotion as two different components of our being to be balanced. We are whole persons with our thoughts and feelings inseparably melded together. Even some of the central words of the Bible used to describe our natures are words that defy categorization into intellectual or emotional compartments. The Hebrew word often translated soul, nephesh, to name just one biblical term, 
refers to our whole lives, with implications about the ideas we think, the emotions we feel, the attitudes we develop, and the lifestyles we practice. When I was a new believer, the book many of my fellow students read was J.I. Packer's Knowing God, and I joined them, and I loved it. Packer challenged countless readers to think deeply about God, his character, his ways, and his teaching. But I look back and wonder if the book may have been tilted a bit too much toward the cerebral, needing more mention of affection. Years later, my Christian cohorts read Henry Blackaby's Experiencing God, and I joined them, and I liked it. I realize I said liked, not loved. I prefer Packer's work. I regularly return to knowing God for refreshers. So far, I haven't done that with experiencing God. Looking back, I fear that the two books point to yet another pendulum ride within the body of Christ. Fragmentation and compartmentalization come from non-biblical cultures and philosophies, such as the Greeks, and got entrenched in our ways of thinking through equally bad influences, such as the so-called Enlightenment. Getting back to the Bible means pursuing a holistic vision for what it means to be human and what that looks like in every way. Then we will love, not just know or experience God, with our whole heart, soul, strength, and mind. And that's why I love, not just like, Jonathan Edwards' classic, The Religious Affections, 1746. One book, I believe, gets right the holistic image of our humanity. If I had to choose a thesis statement for the book, it would be, True religion, in large part, consists of holy affections. Edward wanted his hearers and readers to know that just having an opinion about God or believing the right propositions about God doesn't make one a Christian. Saving faith must be felt as well as understood. Consider just a few samples from this volume. The religious life contains things too great for us to be lukewarm. I am bold to assert that no change of religious nature will ever take place unless the affections are moved. There is no other reason why we should express ourselves to God in verse rather than in prose and with music except that these things have a tendency to move our affections. And Edwards saw these affections stirred by the intellect and right thinking. Knowledge, then, is the key that first opens the hard heart, enlarges the affections, and so opens the way for men to enter the kingdom of heaven. Reading The Religious Affections, it's obvious that Edwards didn't see affections as an end in themselves. They were and are part and parcel of a godly life that includes obedience and effort. He wrote, The great Christian duty is self-denial. This duty consists in two things. First, in denying worldly inclinations and its enjoyment, and second, in denying self-exaltation and renouncing one's self-significance by being empty of self. 
it's not difficult to grasp the purpose or aim of Edward's work. The outline of the book shows it quite clearly. Part 1. Concerning the Nature of the Affections and Their Importance in Religion Part 2. Showing what are no certain signs that religious affections are truly gracious or that they are not. Part 3. Showing what are distinguishing signs of truly gracious and holy affections. Put simply, Edwards wanted people to recognize the vast chasm between true faith and its many counterfeits. The Church today could benefit greatly from a healthy dose of Edwards' clarity.